The nearest thing that the New York Times had to a writer hired to be a sort of kind of centrist conservative liberal after the 2016 election, after the New York Times completely botched it, has resigned from the New York Times. That's it. Couldn't take it. A letter from Barry Weiss. Barry Weiss writes, it is with sadness that I write to tell you I am resigning from the New York Times. The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that it didn't have a firm grasp of the country that it covers. So she details why and how she was hired. I'm going to skip around a little bit to just the juiciest lines. A new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper. The truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else couldn't be truer. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. I always was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now, history itself is one more ephemeral thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. There are terms for this. Unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, and constructive discharge. I'm no legal expert, but I know that this is wrong. This is a new McCarthyism. Ideas cannot win on their own. They need a voice. They need a hearing. Above all, they must be backed by people willing to live by them. That opinion is no longer welcome at the New York Times. That opinion is no longer welcome at our chief institutions in this country. The things that we believe, the truths that we cherish and hold dear, have been rooted out of the institutions. How much time left do we have to save the edifice? We'll get into it. I'm Michael Knowles and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. Nothing resembling the old school liberals is left. When I say the old school liberals, I'm talking about, you know, we call them the classical liberals or the libertarians, but I'm even talking about the old school progressive liberals, people like Barry Weiss at the New York Times, which was a liberal paper. We always knew it was a liberal paper. I never liked the New York Times, but at least the New York Times would occasionally listen to ideas that it didn't agree with. Occasionally, the New York Times would try to understand why it got things wrong. That's over. That is gone. And now, when you hold those liberal ideas, those more old school progressive ideas, there's only one place for you to go, and that is to the right. We've seen this. It's not just Barry Weiss's letter. There was a letter from, it's now called The Letter from Harper's, where a bunch of old school liberals said, we've got to defend our liberal values. They want to have this middle ground between the right wing, the, the traditionalists, the populists, the Trump people, and the hard left. And it isn't working. There's no space there. One has got to pick a side. Even basic values that we, would all, we all used to agree with, uh, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That was as near to an unassailable truth within the American regime as we had, even that completely under attack. And it's not under attack, by the way, by the white supremacist, neo-Nazi Ku Klux Klan, of whom there are, what, seven people left in the country? It's not. It's under attack by the woke left, by these liberal institutions that have 
totally lost whatever identity they once had. They've given it all over to the woke left. This seems nowhere clearer than in a recent broadcast by Nick Cannon. Do you remember Nick Cannon? Nick Cannon is an actor. He's a musician, sort of. He's been a, a pop culture figure for decades at this point. Nick Cannon decided to broadcast yesterday, not on even his radical left ideology, you know, like when we think of Marxism or something, Mao is something like that. He broadcast on a radical left racial ideology. The the mirror image of the Nazi KKK Ku Klux Klan, you know, the, the thing the left is always talking about. We got to get rid of racism. We need anti-racism. Well, it turns out they're anti-racism so often is just the mirror image, just as bad, only directed against the other guy. Nick Cannon preached about the power of melanin. Let's go to what it really is then. When we talk about the power of melanated people, when we talk mm -hmm. about who we really are as guys and, and understanding right. that our melanin is so power and it connects us in a way that the reason why they fear black, the reason why they fear is because they, the lack that they have of it. So then when you see what, you know, Dr. Uh, Francis C. Wellesling talked about is that fear in that, 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 uh, Just genetic that annihilation. deficiency mm -hmm. of when you have a person that has, ha has the lack of pigment, the right. lack of melanin, right. that they know that they will be annihilated. So therefore, however they got the power, they, they, they have the lack of compassion mm -hmm. that mel melanin comes with compassion. Melanin comes with soul that mm -hmm. we call it. We call it soul. We soul brothers and sisters. That's the melanin that connects us. Right. So the people that don't have it have are are a little, and I'm, I'm gonna say this carefully, <laughs> are a little less, and 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 where the term actually comes from, because I'm bringing it all the way back around okay. to, to Minister Farrakhan. Okay, there we go. Now my eyes go up. This is Minister Farrakhan. Uh, Farrakhan, Louis Farrakhan, is a, a complete degenerate. Uh, he's a, a black racial identitarian. He espouses uh, horrifically heretical views on religion, and uh, his religion is grounded primarily in race. We've heard this kind of thing before. You remember when uh, Nicholas Sandman, that Covington kid who, who was going down to the pro-life rally with his Catholic high school, and he was just standing on the National Mall minding his own business. He had a hat that said, Make America Great Again, hat that is promoted by the President of the United States. And this group of kids was heckled by a group of black supremacists called the Hebrew Israelites. And they were screaming all sorts of terrible things at him. And then that crazy Native American dude walked up to him and started banging a drum in his face. Kid behaved very well and was destroyed in the press. And by the press, and he's won a lot of judgments against them. We've heard this sort of thing before from people we would call cultural Marxists in the academy. There, there was one... Uh, Professor Jeffries, this was decades ago, who had a theory of the sun people and the ice people. The sun people were black people who got, uh, you know, all the nice warm rays of the sun and the ice people, those were white people. They were less than, as, as Nick Cannon is saying. Now, I, being Sicilian, I think I get a nice little middle ground here, a little more melaninated, but this is a patently absurd theory, isn't it? And it's, it's merely used uh, you know, without any basis in science or history, it is used as a way to put down a group of people on the basis of their race. We always hear about people being put down on the basis of their race if they are people of color, but what Nick Cannon is doing is putting down white people on the basis of their race. He's saying they're less than, they don't have a soul. He says, 
that they're savages. They had to be savages. They had to be barbaric. They had, because they're in these Nordic mountains, they're in these rough uh, torrential environments. Mm. So they, they're acting as animals. Right. So they're the ones that are actually closer to animals. They're closer to animals. Okay, this is the kind of stuff we can expect from Nick Cannon. Now, it's one thing when you hear some wacko like Louis Farrakhan say this. It's another thing when you hear some wacko like Nick Cannon say this. But the kind of stuff that these guys are saying is not just heard from these kooky guys in the culture or even a professor like Lionel Jeffries talks about the sun people and the ice people. This kind of stuff is being heard at newspapers like the New York Times where we see, we've seen multiple articles about abolishing whiteness, the problems of whiteness. This has now infiltrated the mainstream left, what used to be called the mainstream liberal left. And what's so outrageous is Nick Cannon just got, he just lost his job for making these remarks, but he didn't, he didn't lose his job for making these remarks about the white people about whom he made these remarks. We will get to all of that in one second. First though, I've got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. You know, criminals do not care uh, what is going on. They will still steal your information. They won't say, oh, you know what? We're in the midst of a tough time here economically. They're, they're going to steal your information regardless, okay? Fraudsters love turbulent times. Cybersecurity researchers are warning that cyber criminals are sending emails that include Black Lives Matter in the subject line in an effort to install malware on victims' computers. If any curious party clicks on the file attached to the email, what happens? It installs a dangerous Microsoft Windows malware known as TrickBot. You think they would have had a more subtle title for that, TrickBot. Anyway, very important to protect your information and be responsible. LifeLock detects a wide range of identity threats like your social security number for sale on the dark web. And if they find that your information maybe has been compromised, they will send you an alert. No one can prevent all identity theft or monitor all transactions at all businesses. LifeLock can see threats that you might miss on your own. Join now, save up to 25% off your first year. These are the guys that I trust. Go to LifeLock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-A-S. That is LifeLock. Dot com slash Knowles, Canada, W-L-E-S, for 25% off. Nick Cannon did get fired. I guess he had a contract with Viacom CBS, and he did get fired here. Here's the statement that Viacom CBS sent out. Viacom CBS condemns bigotry of any kind, and we categorically denounce all forms of anti-Semitism. We have spoken with Nick Cannon about an episode of his podcast, Cannon's Class on YouTube, which promoted hateful speech and spread anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Because part of this video is he, he spreads this theory, also spread by the Hebrew Israelites and other black supremacist groups, that, the, that black people, American blacks, are the true Hebrews, the Israelites, the Jews of the Bible, and that the Jews who we all know as Jews, they're like the fake Jews or something like that. What's so striking to me about this statement from Viacom CBS, it only, it only condemns in specific terms bigotry against Jews. But all the bigotry that we just heard in that video was against white people generally. It's talking about what, but that's okay. Viacom doesn't condemn that bigotry. That bigotry is perfectly fine. In fact, in many quarters of the popular culture, it's encouraged, which is why you hear these calls to abolish whiteness. You hear things like toxic whiteness. You see city governments now forcing their employees to go through mandatory re-education programs where they can learn about their terrible whiteness and how they're racist and they've got to 
They've got to get rid of all of their white privilege. It's not just in the world of media or in politics. It's also affected even the world of fine art. A modern art museum curator has been fired. You probably do not follow the modern art world terribly closely. I do not myself. However, one of the most prominent curators in the country, a guy named Gary Garrels, has just resigned amid, amid an uproar. You wouldn't say he resigned, really. He was pushed out at the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art. Why was he pushed out? Why was he fired? Why were there so many calls for him to be fired? There were many calls for him to be fired because this guy, Gary Garrels, suggested that he would not completely stop buying artwork from white male artists. He didn't say he was going to prefer white male artists even. He said he was just not going to totally stop buying the artwork. That was too much. He was confronted at an all staff Zoom meeting about this because now no one holds meetings in person. And he was referred to as a white supremacist. He said, this is his exact words. Don't worry. We'll definitely still continue to collect white artists, but they were going to focus now on collecting artists of color, right? So he's actually saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to disadvantage white artists, but we'll still, we'll still be collecting them. After that, there was a, a petition calling for his resignation that was signed by 180 people, all because he didn't want to completely cut out white guys. And he said that that in itself would be reverse, ra- uh, reverse racism, reverse discrimination, which is obviously true. The petition said, quote, Gary's removal from the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art is non-negotiable. Considering his lengthy tenure at this institution, we ask just how long have his toxic white supremacist beliefs regarding race and equity directed his position curating the content in the, of the museum? So if you don't want to just completely cancel white people from all sectors of society, you're a toxic white supremacist. And you know what Garrels did? Guys, look, he's the curator of a modern art museum. Something tells me the guy is not exactly a rock-ribbed Trump supporter or something. He's not a, a Burkean conservative or something like that. He said, I want to offer my personal and sincere apology to every one of you. I realized almost as soon as I used the term reverse discrimination that this is an offensive term and it was an extremely poor choice of words on my part. I'm very sorry at how upsetting these words were to many people on the staff. So he's out. The, the rule is now, if you don't think that white people should be completely removed from all aspects of society, you, you will lose your job you will be smeared as a white supremacist. You will have to make a very public apology and you will lose your career anyway. Meanwhile, all these people who pretend to be talking for racial justice or Black Lives Matter, how's their record on racial issues? These people who are pushing, to quote Gary correctly, reverse discrimination, reverse racism, how's their record on protecting black lives? Not very good. A one-year-old baby was killed in New York City over the past few days. One-year-old baby, Davel Gardner Jr., one-year-old black baby in New York. Was not killed by police brutality, was not killed by white supremacists or the Ku Klux Klan or neo-Nazis. He was killed in a mostly black neighborhood, presumably by black people and not cops either. 
So this is the view held by the baby's family. And the baby's family is speaking out, specifically his grandmother. For the cowards that did this, you should be ashamed of yourself because everybody talk about black lives matter. What about baby lives? What about teenager lives? Like you took an innocent child from a mother and a father as well as the grandparents. And I don't think it's fair. Doesn't seem fair at all. And there are local people in that community who are speaking out explicitly against this, against the racial narrative that is being pushed by the left. A a horrific story. One-year-old baby. The mainstream media ignore innocent babies getting killed. What do they do? They focus on criminals who get killed. And by the way, I'm not even talking about criminals who are killed in officer-involved killings. I'm not, I'm not talking about those rare cases that have been the ostensible cause of all the riots and protests, even though I think really those are just incidents that have been exploited by people with a radical left political agenda. But I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about actual 100% convicted criminals like the worst people on earth who then get the death penalty. The left sheds tear upon tear for them. One-year-old baby killed in his neighborhood. Can't talk about that story. That's going to get memory hold. But brutal, brutal killers on death row, we shed tears for them completely backwards. We will get to the first federal execution in decades in the United States, which just took place yesterday. First though, I've got to thank our friends over at Ring. Speaking of violence and protecting yourself from violence, and protecting yourself from people who want to take your stuff. Very important these days. Ring is on a mission to make neighborhoods safer. Their home security products are designed to give you peace of mind around the clock. Ring gives you protection at every corner. The video doorbells let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime. You can keep an eye on your doorstep. You can speak to delivery people when you can't come to the door. That's whether you're in your bedroom, whether you're at the office, whether you're on a beach, whether that visitor is someone who means to do you harm, whether that visitor is a delivery man, whether that visitor is your mother-in-law, maybe, who means to do you harm. You can speak to them right from your phone. Smart lighting brightens up blind spots, makes sure that you always come home to a brightly lit house. Full home security systems give you everything you need to protect your family, pets, and property. I love this thing. I give this out to my friends as a housewarming gift. I've, I've mentioned this several times. They all love it. And the thing that I really like about it, one, it's cool. It makes you feel like you're, you're living in the future. And also, it's inexpensive. So I get credit for a great gift, but I don't have to spend a lot of money. Get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Knowles. That includes the Ring Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Ring.com slash Knowles. Ring.com slash Knowles. The federal government, for the first time in almost 20 years, executed an inmate for a capital offense. This is good news. It's, It's a good thing when justice is done. And yet, according to many people on the left, and frankly, even some people on the right, this couldn't be worse. So terrible. Such a sad story. The criminal who was executed is Daniel Lewis Lee. He was convicted on May 4th, 1999 of killing three members of an Arkansas family. William Frederick Muller, his wife Nancy Ann, and his eight-year-old stepdaughter Sarah Elizabeth Powell. This guy, this guy that everyone is weeping tears over, the radical left is weeping tears over, 
Daniel Lewis Lee was a member of a white supremacist organization, an actual white supremacist organization, not, not in the way that the left smears modern museum art gallery curators or frankly anyone to the right of Hillary Clinton is a white supremacist. This guy was the real deal. He robbed and then shot this family, including the kid with a stun gun, duct taped plastic bags around their heads. This was a stun gun, don't forget. So he didn't kill them when he attacked them. Duct taped plastic bags around their heads, weighed down each victim with rocks and drowned the family in the bayou. So this guy, all these years later, 20 years later, got what he deserved. And the left is furious. Rolling Stone magazine referred to this as state-sanctioned murder because the guy got... Now, first of all, the death penalty is a good thing. It is good that the civil authority has the right to commit the death penalty, to execute criminals. A lot of people just focus on the deterrent factor of criminal justice. So they'll say, well, the death penalty doesn't really deter crime. Frankly, I think it probably does deter crime, but you're right. As it is enacted and enforced right now, its deterrent effect is probably weak because very few people who receive the death penalty actually have to deal with it. They'll be convicted, they'll be sentenced to the death penalty, but very often they'll get off. So it doesn't have a great deterrent effect, perhaps because it's not actually uh, used to deter people. The rehabilitative aspect of crime people focus on. They say the whole purpose of the criminal justice system is just to make people better, reform people, and the death penalty doesn't do that, so we got to get rid of it. First of all, I think it does reform people. I think, to quote Dr. Johnson, hanging concentrates the mind. When you know that you're about to be hanged or electrocuted uh, or just executed by any manner by the state, it focuses your mind wonderfully, not on kind of temporal concerns, but on the eternal question. So I think even from a medicinal standpoint, death penalty has something to say for it. But then most importantly, the thing that everyone forgets is justice. The primary purpose of criminal justice is to punish people for committing crimes, for committing acts of injustice. It is retributive. That's not, some people think that's terrible. That's a horrible idea or that it's, that's just a secondary feature of the system. No, that's the primary one. If, if the criminal justice system were just about rehabilitation, then there's no reason to require that someone commit a crime to get into the system. We could all use a little rehabilitation. We've all got really nasty habits that we could have fixed. If the purpose were merely deterrent, same thing. You wouldn't necessarily need to commit a crime to do it. As long as we make an example of somebody that could have a deterrent effect. The, the reason that it's the criminal justice system is you need to commit a crime to do it, so you receive retribution for that, and that is what happens when we exact justice. Comp- just consider how backwards that is. Even beyond the idea that we kill a million innocent babies a year, but we, we wring our, uh, you know, we clutch our pearls and we rend our garments when we kill one torturing psychopath murderer who kills an eight-year-old. But forget that. We've just had this whole Black Lives Matter movement. We've just had this whole, remember that we're setting the cities on fire and tearing down statues and it's the most important protest in the country. And yet when innocent black lives are killed, BLM is nowhere to be found. And yet those same radical leftists who support organizations like BLM cry over these crazy white supremacists, ironically, these killers. Uh, That's a backward sort of priorities. Think about this. We just saw this in St. Louis. If you walk up to somebody who is on their own property and you wave a gun in their face and you threaten them and you say, I'm coming for you, I'm going to get you, 
that's fine. You're a peaceful protester as long as you have the right politics. But if you are the property owner whose life and whose family's life and whose property is being threatened and you take out a gun and you say, I'm going to use this if you try to get me, that could be a crime. The, the McCloskeys, I spoke to Mark McCloskey, we played part of that interview yesterday. The McCloskeys is the guy in the pink polo shirt and the white chinos who defended their lives and property in St. Louis. They expect to be indicted. That's the rumor going around St. Louis that there's already been a search by the police of their home. Their weapons have been confiscated. It seems like only a matter of time and everyone is cheering this on. Fortunately, the president of the United States can see through this absurdity, can see this injustice. He just came out and defended the McCloskeys. And when you look at St. Louis with two people that came out, they were going to be beat up badly if they were lucky, okay, if they were lucky. They were going to be beat up badly and the house was going to be totally ransacked and probably burned down like they tried to burn down churches. And these people were standing there, never used it, and they were legal, the weapons. And now I understand somebody local, they want to prosecute these people. It's a disgrace. It is a disgrace. Absolutely is. And it's a great use by the president of the bully pulpit to try to inject a little bit of common sense in here. And it's very interesting I guess sign of the times we're living in. It's very interesting what President Trump will defend and what he will not defend. Because I thought when I, when I saw Trump come out and, and defend the McCloskeys, I thought, this is it. This guy totally gets it. We talked yesterday on the show about how these seemingly trivial issues, oh, this little family in St. Louis, oh, this statue of George Washington or Christopher Columbus, who cares? It's just a little issue. It's no big deal. We got to talk about stuff of national importance, you know, like tax rates or something. So it doesn't matter. And what President Trump realizes is what the character of the Queen's private secretary understands in The Crown, the TV show, which is that it's in the small things that the rot begins. It's in these seemingly trivial cultural matters, little, little in story about a family in St. Louis, that the rot begins. And President Trump has a laser focus on that sort of stuff. And yet at the same time, as, as he's talking about that, the Trump administration is reversing course on what I thought was a tremendously popular policy. It, it, it was a way to pressure schools as we're trying to get the schools to reopen, which they absolutely should. And the only reason the schools are going to remain shut down is for political purposes to make it easier for Joe Biden to hide out in his basement for the next three months and then hopefully get elected president without having to put his foot in his mouth every single day in the campaign trail. That's what the Democrats are thinking. So the Trump administration trying to pressure schools, one way they were doing that is they were saying, okay, if you're here on a student visa, you're here to study at an American university, but now that university campus won't open up and you're going to do online learning, you have to go back to your country. That's what he said. It made perfect sense. It's a brilliant policy. Now, people derided this. They said, oh, it's terrible. You're sending these poor students back home. Yes, of course we are. The reason that they are here in the United States is to study. If they can do it online, if the left wants to push that ridiculous policy for its own political reasons, by the way, that's fine. But they have to deal with the consequences of that then. And the consequences of that are that these students that they love welcoming into the country have to go home because there's no reason for them to be in the United States. Now, if those students want to come into the United States by another means. They want to get a work visa or however else they can get here. They're free to do that. They can apply for that kind of visa, but you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. You don't get all the benefits without any of the costs that are being pushed because the left has an agenda come, come November. So unfortunately, 
the Trump administration has backed off of this. They've, they've withdrawn this proposed rule that would have forced the, the foreign students to go back home if their colleges weren't opening in the fall. I don't know who's advising Trump on this, but it's bad stuff. You, you can see it in real time. You can see this happening, this, this tug of war going on in the administration. I don't talk to that many people in the administration. And yet, so I'm, it's not like I'm telling you tales at a school here from gossip that somebody called me about. But you can just see it play out in real time because there will be an official statement from the White House on one thing and then tr President Trump will undercut it in a tweet. He'll usually give the more correct view in the tweet, usually, not all the time, but, but more times than, than not. And then the policy will back off. There's, there's a tug of war. Trump should listen to his gut. He should listen to the conservatives in the administration. Whoever is going weak, whoever is going squishy as we're getting closer to November is, is not giving him good advice. But it's so interesting what he'll defend, what he won't defend when it's him or when it's, when the policy has been formed by some committee of squishes who were born and bred and raised in the swampland of Washington, D.C. Because President Trump recognizes even on issues that no one really wants to defend how important the symbolism in the culture is, even on an issue so unpopular as the Confederate flag. We will get into that. We will get into how widespread the radical rot on the left goes. It's not just confined to Nick Cannon and to the New York Times, even it goes all the way up to their presidential nominee. First though, I've got to thank you. I've got to thank you for subscribing to the Michael Knowles Show on Apple Podcasts and the Michael Knowles Show on YouTube. You have made my YouTube channel bigger than Andrew Clavin's. This is the most important thing. That's the most important thing to do, so thank you very much. I very much intend to to bug Drew about that. Uh, be sure also to check out the exclusive content that we've uh, posted on that YouTube channel with guys such as Mark McCloskey and recently Donald Trump Jr. Also, Ben Shapiro, our very own, has a new book. It's called How to Destroy America in Three Easy Steps. When he wrote this book, he foresaw what is happening right now. Pretty crazy. He's just got like a crystal ball or something like that. The book goes on sale Tuesday, July 31st at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. Ben will be doing a virtual live signing event on the day of release. And with your purchase of a signed copy, you can write in a question which may be read and answered as he signs your book live on the air. You can pre-order your signed copy and write in your question at dailywire.com Ben. Go get it. We'll be back with a whole lot more. So President Trump, he ba he's backed off this policy, which I think is a mistake. But then when it gets to an issue that would be far dicier, far more divisive, an issue like the Confederate flag, President Trump realizes the importance of not giving an inch to the woke mob. President Trump, back in 2015, you said the Confederate battle flag belongs in a museum. Do you still believe that? All I say is freedom of speech. It's very simple. My attitude is freedom of speech. Very strong views on the Confederate flag. With me, it's freedom of speech, very simple. Like it, don't like it, it's freedom of speech. Would you be comfortable with your supporters displaying the Confederate battle flag at uh, well, political events? Well, you know, it depends on what your definition is, but I am comfortable with freedom of speech. It's very simple. But you understand why the flag is a painful symbol for many people, because it's a reminder of slavery. Well, people love it, and I don't view, I know people that like the Confederate flag, and they're not thinking about slavery. I look at NASCAR, you go to NASCAR, you had those flags all over the place, they stopped it. 
I just think it's freedom of speech, whether it's Confederate flags or Black Lives Matter or anything else you want to talk about. It's freedom of speech. I love how many times he said freedom of speech because President Trump, we, we talk about how, you know, he's got no message discipline. He's all over the place. This guy has been in the public eye since the late 1970s. He was at the top of network reality TV for 15 years. The guy knows how to communicate a message in public. I know that everyone, every armchair critic in America now thinks that they're a much better rhetorician and orator than Donald Trump, but they're not. The guy actually does know how to communicate. And, and he realizes that race is this incredibly touchy, divisive issue. There is great power to melanin, to, uh, to quote Nick Cannon. He's right. There is a lot. Of, there's great power of melanin here because the left knows that if they can in any way tie in any, any piece of our history, any piece of our culture with the issue of race and, and smear it with the idea of racism, then they can get rid of it. They'll begin with the Confederate flag because few people want to defend the Confederacy. My family, George Cobb Knowles, died at the Battle of Boynton Plank Road fighting for the Union. What do I care about the Confederacy? Well, I care, I care about our history. And I care about people who want to totally overturn American history and the arguments that they're making to overturn the Confederate flag and to tear it down are arguments that they will make to tear down the regular old American flag. By the way, they're already doing it. Colin Kaepernick already did it with the Star Spangled Banner and frankly with the Betsy Ross flag, the original American Revolution flag. The same exact arguments. It goes the, this way back. President Trump now three years ago predicted it would happen. He said, you, you're talking about Robert E. Lee right now. You're talking about tearing down his statues. But very soon, for, you're going to be tearing down Thomas Jefferson and George Washington for the same reason. And it's already happening. That's already happening today. That is the, the power of melanin, the power of these people constantly trying to poke the race issue. That reporter, yeah, but isn't it offensive? A white reporter, by the way, saying, isn't it offensive? People are very offended. Trump goes, yeah, I, some, I don't think people are offended. I think people like it. It's not about slavery. Freedom of speech, freedom of speech, freedom of speech. There is not going to be a nice civil dialogue about this over the next three months at least. That's what the Barry Weiss letter is about. That's what people, even the, even the liberals who are not totally radical left, who are leaving these institutions, that's what they're showing you. That's what the Harper's letter is about. These people who say, God, there's, we're, we can't do it. We can't do it anymore. There is no place for us. This is a brutal ideological battle and we can't give an inch. Trump seems to know that, at least when he's following his best instincts. This thing goes really, really deep. It's not just laughing at a few professors or some stupid New York Times even. It goes really much deeper than that. It's all about November. Hillary Clinton, unbelievably because irony is dead, appeared on Trevor Noah's show on The Daily Show, which I think is about to get many more viewers than it ever gets on the actual show because we're going to play it on our show. I don't know anyone who actually watches The Daily Show anymore, but conservatives can at least talk about the clip. She goes on the, the Daily Show. And she fears that if President Trump loses in November, he won't accept the results of that election. Does that sound like anybody you know? I think it is um, a fair point to raise as to whether or not if he loses, um, he's going to go quietly or not. Uh, and we have to be ready for that. 
That's a real word. Could you imagine if a presidential candidate lost the race fair and square and then pretended that it was illegitimate for now going on four years? And if her supporters in the administrative government decided to launch completely fraudulent investigations of that winner of the election and spy on that winner of the election and totally hamper that winner's presidency and tried, I, I guess I could go on and on. <laughs> I think it rings a bell, Hillary. If only she had a mirror, if only she could see her own reflection in the camera that she was speaking into. Now, Hillary is going to be embittered for a very long time. She was the failed Democratic nominee for president. Well, it's 2020. It's four years later. We have a presumptive Democratic nominee now, Joe Biden. Does the radical, the radicalism couldn't touch old Joe, could it? Old Joe, we've known Joe Biden for 50 years in politics. He's a moderate. He's just regular old, old uncle Joe, isn't he? So so lovable. He'll, he'll be fine. He won't sell out to the radical left. Well, some of the most prominent radical leftist activists in the country seem to think that Joe Biden can absolutely be manipulated. I'm thinking of Angela Davis, an out and out avowed communist who exploits the issue of race, the power of melanin, to quote Nick Cannon, to push a, an explicitly communist agenda. She thinks Biden is easily manipulated. I don't see this election as being about choosing a candidate who will be who will be able to lead us in the right direction. It will be about choosing a candidate who can be most effectively pressured into allowing more space for the evolving anti-racist movement. Biden is far more likely to take mass demands seriously. He's, he's much more likely to do that. So you've got to vote for Joe Biden because he's a doddering old man who is politically relatively weak and who is going to listen to what the radicals want. And if you doubt Angela Davis, because I generally doubt the things that communists tell me, though she has been prominent for many years, take it from Biden himself, who just recently quoted Chairman Mao, <laughs> one of the most blood-soaked communist dictators in history, Biden quoted Mao. He, he thought he was quoting, quote, an old Chinese proverb. And, and the proverb is this. Biden said, according to news reports, women hold up half the sky. So it's an old Chinese proverb. It's not that old. It's a, a saying of Mao Zedong. Mao Zedong said this because he wanted to make the argument that women were an important labor resource and women needed to leave the home and shouldn't be homemakers anymore and should go out and work in the fields and work in industry and advance the cultural leftist revolution. So you got the guy already now promoting the explicit sayings of communist dictators. Not, not a good position to be in. Even Joe Biden, who is probably the most moderate guy left in his party, really is just an empty suit who licks his finger, puts it up in the air, and figures out which way the wind blows. Joe Biden now is ceding all that ground to the radical left. And they're going, to, they're going to continue to exploit it time and time again as we get closer to November. And they'll use that fault line, that power of melanin, that weak spot on race. But this is all about a radical ideology. And, and when their efforts fail, when they fade away, when the race riots ebb and the people stop caring about the lockdowns that are going to kill 2 million or 10 million people and the predictions don't, don't come true, 
they'll find some other crazy way to distract you. So much of this seems to be about distractions. Burger King, Burger King is the latest company to get really woke. Their new ad campaign is not about how delicious their hamburgers are. The bigger the burger, the better the burger, the burger is bigger at Burger King. No, they now, the woke culture has gotten so extreme, so absurd that their ad campaign is about how they are as a corporation reducing bovine flatulence in the atmosphere. When cows fart and burp and splatter, well, it ain't no laughing matter. They're releasing methane every time they do. And that methane from the rear goes up to the atmosphere and pollutes our planet warming me and you. Yes, and methane not the past is a greenhouse gas that'll trap the sun's heat and change our climate too. Gee, is it hot in here, or is it just me? So to change their emissions, Burger King went on a mission, testing diets that would help reduce their farts. That's a start. And my now are in question that it's helping cows digestion, adding lemongrass so they can play their part. When I'm thinking of what to eat for lunch or dinner, the image that I definitely don't want in my mind is cows passing gas. That doesn't, that's not nice. That doesn't sound good. And by the way, presumably they're talking about this new grass that they have that's going to reduce the amount of times that cows do that. Presumably then that, that, that air is going to be trapped inside the cows and it's going to end up in our hamburgers, which is even more disgusting. That doesn't sound very good. Advertising used to talk, talk about how great their product was, make it so much more attractive. And yet, now everything has become so politicized. The personal is the political. Everything. I mean, this, this, was the, this was the promise of the rise of identity politics that now we're all so obsessed with, was that when, you're, when you have a separation between the public and the private, the personal and the political that we re require in a democratic republic, then the conservatives are going to win because we can have reason debate. But when you have identity politics, when you just talk, when you talk about the sun people and the ice people, you talk about how those people are less than, they're savage, they're, they're like animals, and we're like, we're civilized humans, and that's it, based on our race. When, when you have that, then you're, you, you're a much more reliable voting block. The personal is, the, everything's got to become political, now including cheap hamburgers. When I think of bovine flatulence, it occurs to me, maybe I've been wrong about this whole mask thing. Maybe I've got to start wearing face coverings. That is, by the way, the guidance now from the CDC, CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield, insisting that people wear their face masks. Face coverings work. Uh, it's our major defense to prevent ourselves from getting this infection. If all of us would put on a face covering now for the next four weeks to six weeks, I think we, we could drive this epidemic to the ground in the country. Oh, that's all it takes? We just wear, we just wear a mask for the next four to six weeks, and then we can drive this epidemic to the ground. Really wish someone told me that 130 days ago. Really wish someone told me that in March. Yeah, actually, do you know what they were telling us in March when the, when the virus was exploding all around the country? Do you know what our public health officials, including the most prominent one, Dr. Fauci, was telling us? They were telling us not to wear the masks. There's no reason to be walking around with a mask. When you're in the middle of an outbreak, wearing a mask might make people feel a little bit better, and it might even block a, a droplet 
but it's not providing the perfect protection that people think that it is. And often, there are unintended consequences. People keep fiddling with the mask and they keep touching their face. So somebody made a giant blunder here, it would seem to me. Either the guy who at the beginning of this whole thing told us not to wear the masks, Dr. Fauci, or the guy who's now saying we could completely route the virus if we wear masks for four weeks, both of whom are top public health officials in the country. Or they're lying, or they're cynics, or they just, in any case, have no credibility, no credibility at all. It is not possible to have a reasonable discussion about this virus, about this issue, because the experts that we're supposed to be listening to cannot be trusted because they have changed their tune with political wins. And even if it weren't with political wins, even if they just were incompetent and got it wrong, they got it wrong so spectacularly. And forget even just the masks. They got it wrong in the models. They got it wrong all over the place. They got it wrong so spectacularly, we cannot trust them. We, can, we cannot have reasonable dialogue. The New York Times can't have reasonable dialogue. You and I can't, we're not allowed to have reasonable dialogue. We have to remain distracted with stupid nonsense like bovine flatulence and like the sun people and the ice people and the power of melanin. We have to be, we have to be misdirected with stupid nonsense like renaming the Washington Redskins. They're going to rename, they've talked about it for years. White liberals have threatened to do this for years rename the Washington Redskins because white liberals are offended on behalf of Native Americans. Washington Post put out a survey when this first became a big issue a few years ago. They, they surveyed a group of Native Americans, asked, how many of you are terribly offended by the name Washington Redskins and want it changed? Nine out of 10 didn't care. Nobody cares. Ridiculous, stupid nonsense meant to divide us, meant to prevent reasonable discourse, meant to keep us all ginned up in hysteria and rage so that we can't see what is happening all around us, the clear political agendas that are being advanced. Three more months to the election, folks. Think we've got to get our heads out of that place where the air is coming out of the cows. I think we've got to stop talking about the power of melanin and start talking about the real political power that we could exercise if we could only understand the stakes. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Get your mailbag questions in. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Hey everyone, it's Andrew Claven, host of The Andrew Claven Show. Nothing scandalizes the left like the truth, except the truth when Trump tells it. That's what happened yesterday, and we'll watch the craziness that ensued. Plus, we've got the woohoo mailbag, because when you hear it, you'll say, woohoo, I'm Andrew Claven. <laughs>